Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Nate Tice of The Athletic joins us to talk about the first round of the NFL draft, what happened, and maybe more importantly, what didn't happen. But first, I wanted to tell you about another ESPN podcast. It's hosted by ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth. Yes, Dominique Foxworth, the Dominique Foxworth, my co-host occasionally on Debatable a regular contributor to this show. He's smart. He's funny. He's talented. He's handsome. He's you get it. It's Dominique. Listen to his show every Tuesday and Thursday because it showcases Dom's unique perspectives in football, parenting, the NBA, and really anything Dominique finds interesting. It's a very good podcast, you know, because at least one time, every single time I listen, I have to turn it off because I get so angry at one of Dominique or, or Charlie's takes when it comes to usually the NBA sometimes the NFL, but that's a good ratio. It is that good ratio of smart to I disagree, but it's smart to this is infuriatingly wrong. So as we gear up for the NFL draft, check out the Dominique Foxworth show. Listen wherever you are listening to this podcast. All right, joining me now here is promised on the show. It's my friend, the ex excellent expert NFL and college football analyst for the athletic it's Nate Tice. Nate, you're you're fresh off of a four and a half. Do you have a, you have a, you have a time on how long the draft show was yesterday? Uh, I think it was four four twenty. Elon Musk. Would be oh really gosh, I, yeah. why did I, why did I set you up for that? Uh, no, That's on me. I actually think it was though uh, because we had a little ten minute technical delay, but that was just more to. Uh, titillize the the viewership. Oh, I, I yeah. don't I don't like where this is. we're already 30 <laughs> seconds in and I'm questioning my choice of and I haven't even had my coffee yet I oh, just no. you know this is what happens yeah I am running on coffee and words at this just, point in time just, and, just, just fumes and, and vibes and and so I know you didn't mean it this way but how you said ex excellent it was almost like I used to be excellent like I broke <laughs> I broke up with excellent and now it's just merely there. So formerly was, excellent, former, formerly excellent. Yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, it's like when you see just a, a rocker, you know, when they're 65 and you're like, oh, man, oh, man, any money. What are you doing now? Oh, I, th I, th I thought you meant like Marty Jannetty when you were talking about the rockers. <laughs> that's even better. Damn it. That's the joke. And X excellent. Yes, yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, oh, yeah. Works on a lot of I hope your ankles are better than Marty Gennetti's ankles. But we have a lot to get to, Nate. We have I'm, a lot I'm to a talk about. I'm a bald Sean Michaels right now. That's where I, that's okay. that's the version I am right there. That's fair. There you go. That's X excellent. There we go. There, let's go with that. There ball you go. Sean, yeah, ball Sean Michaels. Speaking of X excellent, Nate, someone who was seen as an excellent NFL prospect heading into the first round of the NFL draft, it might be seen as an X excellent. NFL prospect after the first round of the NFL draft is Will Levis. We're going to start there because Will Levis, of course, maybe he was never going to be the first overall pick, which of course was that rumor on Reddit that got the uh, got the <laughs> offshore or the online sports books moving. Will Levis didn't go with the first pick, didn't go with the second pick, didn't go with any of the first 31 picks in this year's draft and ended up now waiting possibly to be selected in the second round of the NFL draft. So Nate, let's start with this. How surprised were you that uh, we did not see Will Levis come off the board in the first round? Quite surprised. Uh, I thought even, okay, the the number, I mean, shoot, favorite as the number two pick, what, like a week ago? 
and that yeah. felt it felt right like i even talked myself into it as i you know do 20 shows on it and then it's kind of like after a while you're just arguing with yourself it's just a mirror version of yourself with a mirror version of yourself and after a while i was like you know i get it that why why texans might like levis you know they have bobby slowick and they might run that offense that he's comfortable with okay mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense and i did a rewatch them for a video and i even talked to myself i was like okay i get it i get taking this guy in the top you know, 14-ish, you know, somewhere in that range. Maybe the Bucks move up mm-hmm. um, or maybe the Titans take a chance and they start their clock or if it falls for them. And that's what surprised me is once he passed the Bucks and then the Vikings, I know that's in, what, pick 24, pick 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Like that's like pretty crazy. But like once the Bucks thing happened, because I was like, oh man, I bet you they're stoked right now. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to move up. They might get this quarterback. This is really interesting. And nothing happened. He just mm-hmm. kept hanging out there. Um, uh, he literally was hanging out there in the green room. And so I, um, yeah, I am surprised. I really am surprised because I, even if he has blemishes and he was my like quarterback four of these, Mm -hmm. of these four guys, I still had a first round grade on him. That's just me personally. Mm -hmm. And I know people that did like him, but, uh, yeah, I was just very, it was very interesting that he dropped out completely from the first round, especially with some teams that we thought that might be looking for a quarterback in the future. Do you think? the hype about him as a possible top five pick hurt him in the long run? Or do you think it doesn't matter from the team perspective in terms of how they are evaluating possible prospects? I I don't think it matters too much because it's, that's the disconnect that even when I was working with teams, it's just like these teams have these guys graded Mm -hmm. and then they're just kind of like, yeah, that's our grade on them. And then when they see, say they have a second round grade on a guy and they see like Kuiper mocking him in the top 10, they kind of just go like, ha, 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 ha. You know, <laughs> so they, I mean, at least that's what teams try to do. You know, they have their hubris. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, but that is what uh, I think more teams just had him graded certain ways. And apparently there's medical concerns with his toe, uh, mm-hmm. which is a new one for me. <laughs> the yeah. Toe being like, imagine your whole career being tanked by your toe. That'd sure. be, that'd be very uh, interesting to me. I saw that thing off, uh, but it's the, I I think just teams had him grade a certain way, maybe medically or just his on-field play. And then mm-hmm. the, maybe the teams that had him high are the ones not taking the quarterback, you know, or they had a different situation where they're like, oh, if, if things go a certain way, we might take him. Mm-hmm. But if so-and-so is on the board, we'll take him we'll, or we'll take this guy instead. So I think that maybe is what it is that even teams that maybe had him high, there might be another guy high on their board and they're mm-hmm. like, we're going with the other position, even if it is the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. I guess what really surprised me, though, is that we didn't see a team, you know, at least aggressively enough, try to trade back into the bottom few picks of the first round to get him. Like, I I can believe a scenario where I'm trying to think of a team that would be like the Raiders, for example. They take Tyree Wilson at seven. No question. No issue there. I think that makes sense. But surprised that if, you know, that there was no one out there who had a first round or, 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 you know, a a first round grade on Levis or a top 10 grade on Levis given the positional value where they did trade into to 29 or, or 28 or 31, you know, kind of figured that would be the range where a team would be willing to do that. But whether it was those teams wanting to hold on to those picks, whether it was the teams in the first half of round two thinking we can get him without trading up for him or whether it was just it didn't work out for one reason or another, it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I thought the Rams might have been sniffing. 
They, uh, they might just, still be sniffing. Yeah, just and maybe just I thought they might sneak back into the first round, but maybe how the thing was falling, they're like, hey, we might right. get them in the second, not have to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not f them picks. Maybe yeah, harness those picks, cherish those picks. I mean, they're they're at thirty six. Yes, and yes. the teams ahead of them, Steelers don't need a quarterback. Cardinals, I don't think they would take Will Levis, but they could trade down. Yes. The Lions could but that's we'll talk the about, interesting one yeah we'll talk about the lions oh i'm sure we will we'll talk about <laughs> and the colts just drafted anthony richardson so they're not taking will levis so possibility that someone could trade ahead of the rams but i think it is defensible for them to say hey like nobody wanted to trade for him before i think there's a decent chance we might get him yeah. at 36 maybe that's what they were thinking yeah especially with the connections there with liam cohen right. offense coordinator all that stuff the offense translating a common uh, comparison for Levis, not not one I agreed with. I went with Ryan Tannehill, but it was Stafford. It was kind of like a Diet Coke version of Stafford, and I get it because he's tough. He throws trick shots all over the yard. You know, he's got great arm talent. You know, he's not – he has blemishes. All these guys have blemishes. That's – other. there's not – Trevor Lawrence's don't come around all, all that often, or Andrew mm-hmm. Lux, you know. So even with guys going high in the first round, these guys all had warts on them in some way, shape, or form. His, though, it's if there's a place for him to succeed and have a path, like the Rams want to make total sense to me. I think that actually be really conducive for both parties and kind of a plan going forward. Because the Rams this year just seem kind of like it's it's like watching them are like, are you guys are you guys trying to win games? Like, what are you trying to do? Los Angeles Rams? Are you winning games? Are you building for the future? What are you doing? So at least this will kind of like give them some vision uh, or clarity of what they might be trying to do. Mm hmm. Speaking of a team where I'm not sure if they're trying to win games or tank or not having any sort of clarity, let's get to the biggest trade of the evening. And what happened at the third overall pick, there were some rumors the Houston Texans could take Will Anderson at two and then trade up for a quarterback at three. That didn't make a ton of sense. How they did it made more sense to me. Get the quarterback at two and then make your move at three. But the Texans trade a, what I can only describe as an exorbitant amount <laughs> of draft capital they move up from they get tj stride at two so they, they don't take will levis at two after all those rumors and then trade up from 12 to three don't give up as much as the uh as the niners got for trey lance a few years ago but they give up 12 33 first and third round picks in 2024 including their own first round pick not the browns first round pick but houston's own first round pick in 2024 to land will anderson they also get a fourth round pick in this year's draft in return so this was tough for me nate because i really loved will anderson i was saying you know like like all the talk about tyree wilson over him i was saying let's just you know, watch the tape he's a phenomenal player has been for a couple of years now and now after this trade where he's valued at i believe more than the first overall pick i'm sort of wondering like like even at a premium position even at a you know for a player who i think will be a superstar is this too much to trade to move up for a non quarterback for a team that is so far away from competing in the AFC South, let alone competing for a Super Bowl? I, yeah, I'll start by saying I agree with you on Will Anderson. Uh, I believe him and Michael Mayer tied him from Notre Dame. I'm kind of like, why are we overthinking this? <laughs> These guys were very have been very good for very long against top competition, and they tested more than fine. So uh, am I missing something? Uh, but so I do understand the love for Anderson, but that is a lot to give up. Like good for the Cardinals. Like that is oh, sure. idealistic of what they could potentially get uh, going into this. And, you know, maybe if someone did want to move up for a quarterback at three, 
and I'm sure, you know, once the Texans came calling, they're like, okay, yeah, this is great. <laughs> you guys want to do this? Help, let's go. Um, and I think that it is hard to swallow when you move up for a non-QB like this. Mm-hmm. Um, we were even trying on air, trying to think of like, what are the other big moves been for non-quarterbacks? You know, Julio. Julio's the famous one, yeah. The famous one. Um, and then uh, uh, Sammy Watkins giving up mm-hmm. a first, straight up first. Well, and then I believe you and I talked about with Chris Olave. Yep. and how much the saints ended up basically essentially what how they moved maneuvered themselves what they ended up giving up for chris Olave last year uh and all those time uh all the movement they made to make, get that pick mm-hmm. but i think that that's it's hard to swallow as much as i love the player i don't agree with sacrificing that much and you could say yes we have picks we can do these things seems like teams with the picks were just like yeah they had daddy's credit card and they <laughs> They they were willing to spend. Hey, you want a shot? Yeah, yeah. I got you. What do you want? You want a burger? I got you too. Yeah. So that's what it kind of seemed to me that they were kind of rather than going, oh, we want as many bites at the apple wanted. They're like, no, it's maneuver to get our guys. Right. Um, which is kind I I don't know. I, I go back and forth on that pretty hard when it's these kind of picks um that you're sacrificing. So yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. It, it's a it's a rich a uh, rich amount that they gave up. I understand that Texans want to sell tickets and build build mm-hmm. some goodwill. Sure. And also, you know, maybe give D'Amico his guy. And sure. maybe maybe they were on, okay, we have four guys that we have to come out of this draft with, and mm-hmm. this is the way they did it. So I'm curious what the dynamics were leading into that. Like, was this like, hey, we, we have an opportunity, or was this like, hey, I better get my guy. Okay, okay, we got to figure out how to do this. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But uh, I think there's a lot where they're like, hey, we need some – building blocks uh uh to actually build around on offense and defense and i like both players cj stroud and will anderson but mm-hmm. yeah the, the will anderson move was a lot i, I love the idea of D'Amico ryan's negotiating with the texans and being like i'm not taking this job unless you promise me will anderson right in this draft right he's like i better get my fellow crimson tiger <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's it that was the caveat that was the amendment in his, uh, yeah. his contract yeah i wouldn't blame him frankly yeah, like was... will anderson's a great player Right. It was, uh, you know, it was like, oh, number 31. Like that was his like 31 a will mm-hmm. Anderson better be acquired by the Texans yeah. by the time April is over. <laughs> if not, if not, the contract is void and he just goes back to San Francisco. I'm going back to my, my roster with, uh, Javon Hargrave and, and Nick Bosa and set up front. <laughs> oh, nice warm, comfy bed. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, of, of defensive ends with their ears pinned back. It's great. Right. The same thing with the Cardinals, right? Like, yeah. you know, you have Jonathan Gannon who was involved with a weird tanking case that we discovered about yeah oh yeah the draft start <laughs> that, that happened, totally like, got lost in the shuffle the last thing i saw before we went live was that happening i was like mm-hmm. what, what what just happened here? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah it was very odd but the cardinals sort of do the what the dolphins did a couple of years ago they trade down from three to twelve they get a bunch of the draft capital and then back up from twelve to six to get paris johnson who was the guy by all accounts they wanted at three originally so brandon gannon does not get a, a pass rusher with that first pick, but you sort of see a team that has not been very good about investing in their offensive line, a team that's been sort of getting by for a decade with free agents and and outside of DJ Humphreys kind of, you know, short-term options. They finally go out and and get a building block on the offensive line. Now, I, I just, you know, what I found interesting is that the, even though they did trade up, which, you know, you give up some draft capital to do it, it felt like the Cardinals were more realistic about where they are and how far they are from competing and what they need to do to get there than the Texans were 
Do you think that's just a a product of the Cardinals having been more competitive recently than the uh, than, than the Texans have, or just a, a roster building philosophy? Like, like how would you approach those two situations if you're thinking about rebuilding? Do you want to go out in a vacuum and, and take swings on stars? Are you more about let's try to get four or five good pieces and hope that one of them uh, turns out to be better than we expected? I, I kind of the believer of four or five good pieces and hope one's better than expected and, ju- and just bet on the guys that have room for growth. And I, I think Paris Johnson does. Uh, he was my offensive tackle one going into this anyways. And apparently Kyler Murray's too, you know, Kyler Murray, offensive line guru, who knew, you know, he's just scouting guys. And this was, <laughs> this was his guy apparently. Uh, but it's um, with, with, Paris Johnson is that I think he has a good mentality. He's by all accounts, a pros pro already. Um, And I think for the Cardinals, that's huge because they're, they're building from scratch. You can't go wrong. Any spot that they selected, maybe outside a receiver, I would just been like, yeah, yep. You need that. That's what you guys need. So that makes sense. And why not go through the trenches and maybe that uh, I, I, to me, it seems like, okay, at that point where if they're at six, Chris Johnson, Tyree Wilson, Jalen Carter are kind of the guys that are maybe ahead above maybe the other guys at their position. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jalen Carter's got character stuff. Okay, we don't want to do that. It doesn't. It seems by all accounts, Cardinals are kind of going like, you know, start with the GM's initial messaging about building a team outside of just building players. And I, I believe was his kind of hardo <laughs> opening statement. So I think that was their philosophy. So to me, it was like, okay, you're building through the trenches. Now is it Paris Johnson or Tyree Wilson? Tyree Wilson apparently had some foot concerns for some teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they didn't have issues there. I think it's just building through the trenches, building inside out. They're in a weird position where they are, they need everything except for quarterback most likely because they are signed him to a big deal. So it's kind of a interesting scenario where, or where the biggest need for most of these kind of rebuilding teams, they kind of already have some of an answer with Kyler. But I just think this was a philosophy of building through the trenches and start, hey, let's go inside out, let's help out that quarterback, and then go from there. And then hopefully we can add cherries on top in the mm-hmm. future. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, the Texans did go out and draft players at probably the two most important or two most expensive positions in football. They go out and get a quarterback, and you go out and get an edge rusher. So very different from perhaps using your first, two first-round picks to go get a running back and an off-ball linebacker, <laughs> which is – where the Lions ended up, this is my fault. I take personal blame for this because I am the one who, <laughs> listening to Robert Mays on your athletic stream, uh, was like, wow, as Mays pointed out, the Lions have the 12th, 18th, 34th, 48th, and 55th picks. And they use the 12th pick on running back Jameer Gibbs and the 18th pick on Iowa linebacker Jack Campbell. So, Nate. I don't I don't need to have the positional value argument like everyone listening to this knows. But (laughs) but but let me let me frame it this way. How good do those guys have to be to make it worth their draft position? And what are the chances that those two guys hit that level? They especially at those spots, off ball linebacker, running back, you better be on the field for four, just to start 40 plus snaps a game there. You better not be having to be taken out in sub packages. Right. Um, you can't handle this. Uh, we don't want to ask you to do that. I actually think Jack Campbell has more likelihood of doing that than Jameer Gibbs. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, Jack Campbell is, he's fine. Like I, I looked at him as like a second round linebacker. I looked at him as like the second linebacker. Uh, if you stacked him behind Drew Sanders from Arkansas, he tested better than you expected. 
but he has to be on the field every snap, be covering. He's your true old school linebacker, racking up hundreds of tackles mm-hmm. and and covering everybody that you ask him to, to do uh, that you ask him to do. And I think he does have ability to do that. Like, and he's tough. He's he's like very sound. Um, but I don't know in this type of draft or I, I get that this draft is wide open, especially after the top 10 picks, especially there's a drop off at positions, mm-hmm. but it's still just so rich <laughs> for that. So he's not Keekly, you know, he's not a guy that's like, oh my God, this guy's gonna be a pro bowl or rookie year. I think he'll be a productive player, but more just like a good solid player, but that's still very rich for pick 18. Now, Jameer Gibbs. Uh, yeah, this is the uh, I this one blew my mind, and I know people love him, and I'm a little lower on him than mm-hmm. others. Uh, I believe he was like running back three for me because I'm a sucker for size. Besides, uh, Charbonnet from UCLA is two. Sure. Um, also, like what I said, he has to be on the field and play snaps. It's all about snaps that you can play and, and contribute for. He's not good in pass protection. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a big running back. He's a home run hitter. Um, this felt to me like the Travis ETN pick a few years ago for the Jags, which was fine. And he turned out to be a good player for them this past year, but he's limited in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And also you already just invested in running back and paying David Montgomery a a good amount of of money. But it's just, to me, it's it's very rich, not only because of the running back, the positional value, but uh, Gibbs would have to be, to me, a pro bowler. Uh, Like, you know, at, at least at some point in this rookie contract, because this is, to me, very rich for a guy that I think is a little bit limited as a running back as far as how you can use him. He's a great mm-hmm. pass catcher. Mm-hmm. He's a home run, home run hitter, but he's not a guy you use in short yardage. He's not a guy that you're going to use on third down to pass protection. Yes, he can maybe do that in the future, but not even his size is conducive for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he weighed 199 at the combine. Yeah, and he looks like he's in the 190s. Mm-hmm. That's not usually the guy you want doing that anyway. So I don't know. It's a, I, I appreciate the explosive nature of his game. I don't want to dog him too much. He's really fun, but I compared him to Felix Jones the other day. Um, and yeah, that, and Felix Jones went in the first round of the twenties. I was like, I probably shouldn't have. And that's kind of how I feel about Gibbs as well. Nate, you were probably in school. There was a point where, uh, we on the internet talking about Felix Jones had to vehemently defend the possibility that Felix Jones was not actually like the best running back prospect after the first two years in the NFL because he averaged six and a half yards per carry on 146 carries. He was the original Tony Pollard. Seasons. He was more than Tony <laughs> Pollard. On it, there, there was like a like 2000. The, the summer of 2010, Felix Jones was like, "How do you not think Felix Jones is the next uh, Ladainian Tomlinson?" And it was like, "Well." There might be reasons why, guys. Yeah, you gotta give him a little pathway to do yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah, and that's how Gibbs is. That's that's what's actually kind of funny. Very start yeah. stoppy, and then it's like, whoa! But if he he gets some room, look at him go, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. What about all the other plays when he touches the ball? Right, and and like like it, it's it's not fair to him. Like no. he doesn't choose where he gets drafted, no. and um, same thing with Jack Campbell. And like like chances are these are going to be good football players, but. There's also a realistic universe. I don't know if it's a guarantee, but a realistic universe where the Lions get these guys with their second round picks and have two other guys in the first round. And I think that's the the upsetting part. Uh, and linebacker, and this is why I want to say again with the Campbell, the, the linebacker draft and the off-ball linebacker class uh, for this draft is not good. Uh, it is a big drop-off after Campbell and Sanders and maybe like a couple other guys are up there, but that's just even like guys you look at in the top 100. Um, but that's what's to me super curious with the running back uh, going with Gibbs is that the, it's a good running back class. 
with depth. And there's plenty more guys that you would take in the third round, but that's totally fine. You have a good offensive line. You have David Montgomery already. You don't, I don't know, you don't need this. This just felt to me like a very much like a heat check. Like we have good vibes. We know better. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> he is a fun player. So I get there is a lot to like, but it, it's just so rich. And it just the processes would make a ton of sense to me. Um, I mean, you guys wouldn't like Lucas Van Ness, who want to pick later. Like right. you guys need front seven help. Like why not go with, I don't know. There's just so many more toolsy guys that yes, they have blemishes. They're not perfect, but mm-hmm. there's like that just more attainable position that you usually can't find at that position. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that the drop-off isn't as steep at the running back position on day two. Right. And, and including a player like DeAndre Swift, who the Lions drafted in day two <laughs> right. a couple of years ago. And now suddenly the Lions have very little leverage because it's clear they don't want DeAndre Swift anymore. And DeAndre Swift was a very valuable player when healthy, obviously, um, felt like they had soured on him in a few different ways as last year went along. But we're already hearing reports, according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler, that, that DeAndre Swift is going to be on the trade market. His representatives are looking for a team. The Lions presumably are going to be talking to teams. If you were trying to project a landing spot for DeAndre Swift, that would make sense, where you know, obviously at a reduced cost, you'd figure maybe a mid or late round pick for DeAndre Swift. Where do you think he he would end up and where would be a good spot for him to make an impact uh, you know uh, as a a realistically a part-time player yeah um the cowboys would be interesting uh you know with pollard and and they need another back uh as pollard comes back from injury and just kind of you know uh, we all like tony pollard but it's like i, I don't want to give him 25 touches every game right. you know maybe once in a while but not every game um, uh, I think they would make sense to me. I would also think a team like the Chargers. That's exactly who I was going to say. Uh, I, I think that's exactly what they need. And th- take a look. It's him and Eckler would be very explosive. It would actually be a very, very fun pairing, even if they're both. Usually you get the thunder and lightning pairing, but it's pretty fun having a lightning and lightning. Yeah. <laughs> and Eckler is good as a pass protector. So you have that answer. So I don't know. I, I think the Chargers would make a lot of sense as maybe throwing a day three pick. Throw, you know, they they keep trying to find this running back too, and they keep mm-hmm. whiffing. So oh, yeah. also get a guy that has a little more proof in the pudding uh, with his play. Yeah, I also like the Broncos too, although oh, yeah. they did add some AJP Ryan. They have Javante Williams coming back, so maybe not a high priority for a team that has negligible draft capital this year. But uh, certainly, it feels like there's going to be a spot where he makes sense and he can be, you know, again with with, with appropriate expectations, yeah, a, a valuable player at the right price. Absolutely. Uh, that that now that he's kind of we've properly gauged him, uh, I think is more of a home run hitter type that you know you want to give those tennis touches to eight to twelve mm-hmm. touches to. But as a number two, and if you have a, a guy that can take sixty percent of the touches, like that, mm-hmm. I think he's perfect for that. Absolutely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8SAVE. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so let's get to the run of wide receivers here in the 20s. So we have Jackson Smith and Jigba going 20 to the Seahawks, Quentin Johnston going 21 to the Chargers, Zay Flowers 22 to the Ravens, Jordan Addison 23 to the Vikings. This feels like feels like like the draft equivalent of a challenge trade to me. Like you have these four teams who took four players for four different reasons, but inevitably we're going to look back on this three years from now and I feel like we're going to be like, why did they get picked in that order? Kind of like the Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager thing, where it was, mm-hmm. you know, how how could we possibly have seen that, even though it seems pretty reasonable now as we talk about it the first day after the draft. So let me ask you this, Nate, about these receivers. Number one, did they go in the order you expected? And number two, of those four players and their four landing spots, whose fit do you like the best? It literally is how I stacked them. Is one, th- that's one, two, three, four for me, which I was – Please, this punch. Uh, <laughs> I also kind of quasi under my breath predicted the Quentin Johnson to the Chargers like five, a couple of picks before it happened. I was pretty proud of that. And I, 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 I want to pat myself on the back for that one. <laughs> I was I was mad because someone tweeted at 20 that the Seahawks were going to take Nolan Smith. And I was like, OK, great. We're getting Jackson Smith and Jake, but to the Chargers, like, I can already talk myself into it as like yeah. a long term Keenan Allen replacement. And then they tweeted, oh, actually, no. Uh, so I think Jake <laughs> went to the Seahawks. I'm like, damn it. Okay. And then Johnson came through. Um, I think I think just like everybody, I'm excited to see Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, with the Seahawks. I think yeah. that offense is going to be really fun this year. Mm-hmm. Um, if they could have one more lineman and and maybe a, another tight end for the future. I know they have a plethora of them right now, oh, but sure. the kind of, their contracts are all kind of expiring in different ways after this year. Right. Um, that would be kind of idealistic to me. I really think their offense is going to be a lot of fun this year, like a top six, seven unit. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm too outlandish in saying no. that. Um, but it, it's so I'm really excited to see him. And that's as far as the synergy. And I think I used synergy about five times in a row last night because it, <laughs> because four receivers got selected in a, in a row. So I'm like, oh, right. I got to talk about receiver ribs. It, it makes it's, it's the perfect fit. Uh, DK Metcalf is your outside ball winner. Um, and then you got Tyler Lockett as the Z who can go inside and out. And he's kind of the intermediate guy. He can do deep balls, kind of do a little bit of everything. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba is your underneath guy. And I, I love that. And they needed a slot desperately. They were limited last year. That's why they used tight end so much. It's like, they're like, we're not trotting out a third receiver. <laughs> no, this guy's JV <laughs> compared to everybody else. So his is the easy fit I uh, that I like the most. And then I actually like Johnson, I think, more than other people do. Mm-hmm. Um I, I got lowered on him throughout the process. I think everybody did. He, his name's been dragged through the mud. He hasn't done anything like wrong. Um, he is, he, you know, he is limited. He's more of a project type, but there are gifts that, and he's a, just a t- different flavor of player than the Chargers have. Um, he actually has explosive ability. And they desperately need that. They need somebody that could break a tackle. 
<laughs> just outside of Austin Eckler. Right. Um, so I, they, I, he's not a perfect prospect. There's a lot of blemishes with him, but as far as his tools and as far as the situation where he doesn't have to be the guy getting 120 targets right away, 130 targets right away at his rookie year, he can kind of ease in and grow. And I think he's in a pretty decent situation for that. So I actually really like that pairing more, um, uh, maybe more than others. And I like the player more than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and certainly it feels like they were, they've been throwing the ball a ton. Yeah. Doesn't seem like that's likely to change with Kellen Moore coming over from the Cowboys, maybe the kinds of throws they'll be making. Yeah. Maybe changing. Yeah. It's uh, I can really picture him uh, doing some of the things that CD was asked to do, but even though they're very different type of players, um, I think Johnson, Johnson, as big as he is, his play style is somewhat smaller which is both good and bad His movement ability uh, yards after catch ability. But I could see him those over routes that CD was so good on, like uh, everything working from the slot outside stuff being crossers. You want to get him on the move. And I think that with Mike Williams kind of out on the outside, that's actually kind of nice because he can kind of do the static routes that Kellen Moore likes to use in the Mm -hmm. chart. Now the chargers offensive coordinator. So he's the static route guy. Keenan Allen's your slot kind of or outside kind of route runner type. And then it's and then they still have Joshua Palmer, who's I actually think is now going to be in a perfect spot as a kind of receiver three, four, backing up all the spots. And now you got Quentin Johnson as kind of like a glorified gadget guy, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and a guy that's like, OK, we have this play, this screen or we have this crossing route where we're getting them on the move. Like now they have a guy that it makes sense. They try to do it with Gerald Everett at tight end as that guy and that's what Quint, i think quinn johnson is more of a gerald everett replacement than anything else which is kind mm-hmm. of funny yeah i mean <laughs> interesting uh yeah i mean <laughs> i mean obviously you know th- there's there's this two-pronged approach to what's going to happen this year and what's going to happen two or three years from now i mean right e- even as early as 2024 this could be an offense with no gerald everett with no austin eckler and no keenan allen it could look totally different from what we right. see right now so it's yeah so it was needed but they're the chargers uh contract situations are pretty it's it's pretty hilarious i'm sure as you know like there's a, yes. a lot of 30 million dollar hits and then a lot of guys coming off the book pretty soon so yes. it's uh i think they're trying to crank their window and find a, maybe a needle mover in any way shape and form that they can that I, I said this on our show last night is i don't think johnson's gonna have a very productive rookie year like i mm-hmm. think we look back and it's like oh he had 600 yards or something like that but there's gonna be moments where he really flashes this year where there's mm-hmm. like we're going to be like, oh, my God, he was the second receiver taken. How did so? How did people let him go with Justin Herbert? And then you, like, actually watch the film, and it's like, he's kind of useless for 15 plays. So, uh, But I, I think that's kind of – that's how I picture his rookie season going. He's the – I think it's the mm-hmm. classic three-year build for the receiver. Uh, you know, remember mm-hmm. that used to be the whole thing, the third-year receiver yep. breakout? I mm-hmm. think that's the path Johnson will be on in his career. But that might not be great for where the Chargers are at right now, but – don't hate it all the way. <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing is like these the the Chargers wide receivers. I don't want to be too critical. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are great players. They're not always the healthiest guys right. on the field. So like, there's a chance that you just end up needing uh, Quinn and Johnston to start because Mike Williams is hurt or Keenan Allen's hurt or they're banged up or you know. But like, I feel like it's sort of also in the short term leverage against one of those guys getting injured. Absolutely. Not, uh, not that he's a plug and play replacement. No, no, no. But I totally get it. Player. But it's not DeAndre Carter. <laughs> you know, it's not like you're who, who was who was the guy there was like like a couple of years ago, like when in the Philip River years, when when guys get hurt, was it Seishi 
Asherah Tutu would like go from being like the fifth wide receiver to being the wide receiver one for Philip Rivers some weeks. It's just getting peppered every third down. Yes. It's like him and Antonio Gage just going right. to work. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's the thing with the Chargers is that just because their team building philosophy, they had two very expensive receivers that barely played. And that was the 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 lack of like value that that team had was it's a huge drop off when you're investing that much money and then you have to throw a hundred something targets to a journeyman like deandre carter Mm -hmm. and so yeah like you said that is good insurance i i totally agree with that uh it and you know another thing you know it's he's going to a franchise where health has always been a priority for chargers for (laughs) chargers uh players so did they do something with their medical staff or team doctor i think they i, it, I yeah. think every couple of years they just fire someone <laughs> from their staff it's the it's the drummer for spinal tap just, <laughs> that's what they're going through right now and they're all exploding i mean the players are too uh mm-hmm. but it's <laughs> so hopefully maybe there's some upturn for the health of chargers players wow this 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 uh the, the cj azure 2 200 yard game uh, Patrick Creighton was the number two receiver for the Chargers. Chris Wilson had a 37-yard catch. Oh, match. yeah. Randy McMichael was two for 23. Uh, lots of lots of names in this Chargers box score as they beat the Texans. What was it? This was uh, 2010, November 7th, 2010. Phillip Rivers still threw, still 17 to 23 for 295 okay. and four touchdowns with Seiji like Asherotutu as his number one receiver. It was like 11 targets, eight for like eight for 90 or something like that. Say, say, say he was four or five for 111. Oh, 111. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That good is for, good for him. Yeah. That, I love those random games, the random blow up games. But. Random blow up games, and and also if you're gonna make the Philip Rivers Hall of Fame case, we can start there. Yeah, like look who he was carrying. Yes, <laughs> but that's the thing. At the end of his run with the Chargers, too, there's times where he was just making some of these. He had like his fifth center in, <laughs> and you would have you would have had no idea. Of course, like, like just everything was running smoothly. And it's like that then and there is just like the fact that this is operational, and you know it's all Philip. You know, it's not like the coach is coaching them up. So it's like, <laughs> that's all I need to see is like, he just made that franchise look tolerable for years and years mm-hmm. and years. I mean, I know he was loaded, uh, that team was loaded when he first started, but by the yep. end there, it was like, they, they had some doldrum talent that they were trotting mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. No question. Now, the team that is not dealing with doldrum talent because <laughs> the league somehow lets them get the exact. Does that even make sense? Want. Doldrum talent? Like, yeah, is that, it does. Of course it does. It does. Okay. That, that wasn't just a like a yogi yogiism that I had right there. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you can have talent and still be in the doldrums. No okay. question. Okay. okay. Um, but the Eagles not in the doldrums and have tons of talent because they somehow landed Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith while having to trade up one spot for the two players combined. Like, 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 like I, I see the combination of like, how do we let this happen? And Howie Roseman is a genius. And like, like it doesn't have to be that hard. Right. Like we have a guy who is prioritized defensive lineman consistently throughout the years, defensive lineman and offensive lineman, of course, in the first round of the draft, Jalen Carter fell close enough that they could trade up. And then Nolan Smith just fell through the entirety of the first round. So obviously both valuable, but in a vacuum, who who were you sort of more surprised to see the Eagles land where they landed them? Jalen Carter or Nolan Smith? I would say actually Jalen Carter. Really? Uh, I think Nolan Smith, and I, it's funny, I, I think there is an agreement. Jo, uh, Nolan Smith is a, I think is going to be a good player. I, maybe just not that star. Um, I think a very super useful player. Um, I've compared him to Bruce Irvin. 
uh, uh, and I think that's kind of what his role would be, kind of a do-everything Swiss Army knife. So I don't see him ever accumulating. He might. I mean, he has plenty of tools, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like a 12-sack season, which, which would get you in the Pro Bowl. I see him more as like that auxiliary pass rusher that you can drop into coverage and all that. So I feel like 30 is actually very uh, – 30 is very like exactly where he should have been slotted. So I, I wasn't as shocked as maybe some other people, maybe because – I think as the mock draft process has gone on, everyone kind of kept bumping him up, up and up and up and up and up after he tested. Uh, but like with Jalen Carter, there is, especially that the Bears moved back down a pick. And I I actually was kind of going like, wow, the Bears might actually get that blue chipper after moving back. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But they're maybe not in that position to, as a team, you know, to handle potential character concerns. And that's something you just always have to remember. Um, I thought maybe someone else would just take a stab on Carter. Uh, whether it be the Raiders or or even the Falcons, I don't think the Falcons really they wouldn't really do that. But I just thought maybe they may, might make an exception for the talent. Um, so I just thought maybe or or the Seahawks even at, at five. Uh, I thought somebody would take a stab on him or move up for him. So I actually, in a weird way, am more surprised. Even though he was long rumored to not last outside the top ten, the Eagles were his you know his floor. It was just surprising to me that I thought somebody else would take a stab and somebody else might make a move for him. So I'm actually a little more surprised about that one. Yeah, I mean, I I will say it felt like there were some rumors about Nolan Smith possibly going to the Eagles Mm -hmm. at 10, and then they get him at third. And that doesn't always work out that way. I mean, I remember the Ruben Foster thing where John Lynch said they were going to take Ruben Foster at, at three, and then they end up taking Solomon Thomas, and then they get Ruben Foster at the end, and that didn't work out for like you know for injuries and off-field reasons yeah, as well. Yeah. But um, you know, it doesn't always mean that you aren't landing two superstars. But it just felt like for a team that has to transition their roster in a in in a universe now where Jalen Hurts is getting a raise of fifty million dollars a year. Oh, if you could have told them, hey, I mean, <laughs> sure. Sure, and deserved deserved after carrying uh, not Dane, but certainly Robert Mays for four hours last night. Oh, stop. Um, uh, You're so weird. You know, you know, like, like, like it just kind of felt like okay, this is your dream scenario if you're right. Howie Roseman. Like, like, like. No, you can't guarantee the prospects are going to be great. No, you can't guarantee that you're going to be as good as you were a year ago. But if you're going to thrive with an expensive quarterback, which they very famously did not do in the Carson Wentz era, the way to do it is get the these sort of core components of your roster, your edge rushers, your defensive line rotation that you've been able to spend so much money on in years past and find cheaper solutions. And Jalen Carter might not be as good as Javon Hargrave, but maybe he will be. And Nolan Smith might not be as good as, I don't know, the, the third or fourth member of that edge rotation. They may have to move on from someone like a Derek Barnett. Right. You know, a couple of years from now, Brandon Graham's going to be retiring at some point in the near future. But you have a guy who, you know, at least in terms of draft pedigree, can be an impactful player at, at that spot. And so I think it, it at least gives them the best possible chance of succeeding as they transition their roster from Jalen Hurts being one of the biggest bargains in football to Jalen Hurts making market value on a new deal. And and people keep constantly praising, you know, the Eagles, rightfully so. They're like, oh, they always have a succession plan. They always have an answer for that next position and always have that. And why they're able to do that is because they invest in it. It's it's very hard to build the trenches. Mm-hmm. You can hit on a middle round pick. You can get a Jordan Mailata for a seventh rounder and develop him, of course. But you usually have to invest in those positions and especially defensive line. So it to me. If you want to build through the trenches, this is how you do it. You got to have these plans where, okay, yeah, Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox aren't playing forever. 
So we got to get some guys, even if they aren't a one-to-one replacement, they can play those spots and we, and they have talent and pedigree. Mm-hmm. This isn't again, theory, like, you know, they, they, I mean, you look at their roster and you just look at how many of those defensive guys have a, a, a first round, like for former first round selection next to their name, you know, Jordan Davis, Derek Barnett, like you said, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, you know, all these guys now, now Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, all these guys were first rounders for the Eagles. And mm-hmm. that's not including Reddick, who was a first rounder in the past. So it's that they're investing in it. And I'm all about it. I, I love that. Uh, it, it's just people want to say the rich get richer, uh, but having a plan and a succession plan is just important as having talent now. And that's easy to say where the Eagles are in that position. They have draft capital. They also have a locker room that can handle Jalen Carter, I think. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't say like, I, I don't know Jalen and I shouldn't like talk like that, but it's just, you know, what, what there are the concerns with him. But if there's any locker room that can handle someone that you might have issues with or, or concerns about this, is this is the best locker room for it uh, as mm-hmm. far as offense alignment, defense alignment, the veterans that they have and all the former Georgia teammates. <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to uh, say. I mean, it's like the Kobe D and everybody. The straight up Georgia locker room is now in Philadelphia. They're going to surround them. They, they literally surrounded him with like an ideal setting with his almost his, all of his former buddies. So I, I think there it's a great situation, but it's one of those where we always praise Howie and and rightfully so, I do think because of just this, that is that he has a plan and it has a way to bridge, you know, from one way to the other. It's like the Colossus of Roads. Like, you know, it's just that that's how I picture it. Like there's one foot over here and there's one foot over there, and then that's how they transition from one to the other. Can we can we get all the Eighth one of the world's referenced in. I thought, I thought you were, I thought you were referencing Nathan Jones. Uh, so <laughs> I I was uh, I was off on that one. Okay. No, hey. no, I'm going. I'm really doing the needle moving uh, references here. I'm going to the <laughs> wonders of the world and not China. I'm not including no uh, the former intercontinental R- champion. R.I.P. R- R- China. R- R- um, R- let's finish up here, Nate. We're looking at the first pick of the second round. The Pittsburgh Steelers who took. Broderick Jones. They traded up in the first round, gave up a four a fourth round pick to move up three spots and take Broderick Jones. Patriots they go to seventeen. They take Christian Gonzalez. Think both those moves make sense. Nate, I will put you on the spot to finish up here. Who do the Steelers take with the first pick of the second round? It has to be Joey Porter Jr., right? It feels it feels like it. <laughs> it's like the stars are aligning. I mean, they were. Uh, you know, it was looked like that they might take him at 17. And like, I know I was one person that was like, yeah, that makes sense. Why not? Well, yeah, goodwill. Let's do it. Um, I mean, Joey Porter Jr. makes all the sense in the world. Team need uh, where he has kind of been slotted at. Like uh, he's not, again, not a perfect prospect. Otherwise you go in the top 10. Um, but just also, you know, it, it's a great, the, the Steelers love that stuff. Steelers love mm-hmm. legacy stuff. Of and course. also another thing, even at, outside of Joey Porter Jr. being Joey Porter Jr., the Steelers have a thing where they always have a Penn State, Pitt, or Notre Dame guys on their roster. Like they, <laughs> they, they seriously do. They like, ha- they make it a thing. Like if they don't have one, they're going to make sure to sign or draft one. They have plenty right now, you know, Pat Fryermuth and all that, but they're going to make sure that they, oh, Kenny Pickett from Pitt. Um, they're, they're going to make sure that there's a little, those guys get a little bit of bump. So even outside of the name, there's mm-hmm. the, the school tie in that they love as well. So he just feels the stars are aligning for Joey Porter jr. To, to go to Pittsburgh. Yeah. And they need long-term options at corner. Patrick Peterson, they signed this off season. I'm terrified. Of Patrick Peterson there. Guarding T Higgins. <laughs> I love Patrick Peterson, but 
not not like this you know yeah. not like this <laughs> yeah levi wallace is there um arthur mullet's there from the jets i mean there, there's 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 some guys who can be short-term solutions there but they need to rebuild that cornerback room in the long term so i think porter makes total sense now yes. i'm always a fan i'm always arguing teams should trade the, try to get trade this pick for a future one but it never happens which probably tells you they're not getting offered future ones for this pick but my dream if, if i ever run a team nate and i will never run a team if I have the 33rd pick in the draft, if I have the first pick in the second round, that pick is any first round pick is what that trade that pick is getting swapped for. So just know uh, that's what's going to happen. That's where the offer starts. That's yeah. like anyone you want, you want to start talking, you want to talk to Bill, you want to call him up. Yeah. yeah. You're very, that first round pick better be in hand. You know, that's where you, that's... We, don't, we don't have to worry about this happening in the future, but just I, I always I, love the theory. I, I like the fan fiction. I, I like yeah. it. I, I like it. I, I'm going to make that canon of the Bill Barnwell show that like, we're going to just, we're going to talk like we're GMs and this we're negotiating just uh, openly right now. Yes, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, Nate, not a GM, but you are a, extensive uh video and podcast star where can people check out your coverage of the draft as the draft continues x extensive uh i am uh yes you can hear me on the athletic football show several times a week but also we are doing live shows uh to covering the draft the round one two and three if obviously this podcast doesn't come out in time for those uh, we have we're live on YouTube for those, but you can also hear uh, the shows anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, but that's really where you find me. That and uh, my Twitter account at uh, Nate underscore Tice. Uh, there's going to be starting an uptick of non-football tweets though after this draft ends. You might see some random studies I'm doing soon. Like I actually might study the Steelers' offense pretty soon. I'm pretty uh, the second half of the year. So that's I know this is just are, are we gonna get, are we going to get Twitch Nate the return. I, we might, we might, because I do want to do a Pickett and Desmond Ritter kind of thing. And and now that I don't write with the athletic now, it's kind of a, that might be my form. I do want to get back on the Twitch though. Once my son is sleeping the night, I have a six month old. Once he's starting to sleep the night and I have a little more energy to do that, you might see me back on Twitch, not just streaming go. Overwatch 2, but streaming football <laughs> films. There we go. <laughs> I love it. Nate, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. That was awesome. Well, thanks so much to Nate Tice, our wonderful guest. Nate's the best. Check out Nate's work at The Athletic. And we have more audio coming next week. We'll do more draft recap, sort of set the scene for the rest of the offseason here on The Bill Barnwell Show. So thanks so much for listening.